Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. It's amazing the influence that Google has on the world. Have you thought about that? So many people base uh, delicate, life-changing, important things on uh, the advice they get from Google. I just know it's true. I know, I know it's a fact because I Google it. <laughs> I got to wondering this last week just what, what the most asked questions are on Google. And I've got to tell you that it it shocked me. I, I you know I you know I didn't think it was going to have to do with some great spiritual truth, but I, I was really surprised. And uh, this is the list in order of the number of times that the question has been asked. Here's number one: What is my IP? I, well, I won't even go there. What is my... Who ever thought that would be the number one question on Google? Number two, I kind of might have suspected this, is what time is it? <laughs> By watch. You know, have to Google it. Number three, how to register to vote. Number four... And this really was a shocker. How to tie a tie. Number five, and I still don't understand this one, but it, it, this is it. Can you run it? I, I have no idea what that means, but I, you can tell I never asked Google that question. Can you run it? Probably some of these computer whizzes, they know what that is all about, I guess. Number six, what song is this? Number seven, how to lose weight. Number eight, how many ounces in the cup? Number nine, when is Mother's Day? <laughs> well, looking at that and other evidence, I think it's, uh, it's an obvious, undeniable fact that, that people have very little interest in the things that are of the greatest importance. Because for most people, spiritual things would be at the, near the bottom of the list. They're just not all that concerned about anything that has to do with spiritual things. They're more concerned about, well, the stock market. As some people, you know, they start out every day wanting to know about the stock market. Uh, other people, uh, you know, it's all about politics. They they can't go a day without trying to figure out who's winning the primary or who's doing this or who's doing that, and they're just obsessed with politics. For other people, they don't care about politics, but it's all about sports. Who won the game last night? You know, that's all they think about is sports, or it might be entertainment, or it might be the weather. A lot of people have a lot of interest in, in, in the weather. I've just got to. I've just got to insert this. When I was a boy growing up, where my my great grandma lived, there was a little old lake called. Uh, it's just out Ashgrove Lake, just outside a little town called Ashgrove. And Daddy was out there fishing one day, 
And, uh, and so uh, he's by himself, and he's sitting there fishing. This fellow walks up with his pole in his hand. He's getting ready to do some fishing. Now, how, how you doing today? And so Daddy told him, and they got talking about the weather. And Dad, as he uh, the, using the language he used then, well, I'll tell you one thing, that blankety-blank weatherman, he sure missed it. He doesn't know what the blank he's doing. <laughs> and that fellow said, I'll have you to know I am C.C. Williford, the weatherman. And <laughs> everybody knew C.C. Williford, you know. He was a, I, I mean, well, some people admired him and, so dad put his foot in his mouth on that day. But a lot of people are interested in the weather and they don't have a bit of concern about how many degrees hell is going to be. No concern about the future. No concern about heaven or hell or spiritual things or, or anything else related to their deepest needs. Well, I don't know where you might stand this morning, but I can tell you this with 100% certainty that regardless of who you are or where your interests might lie, you'll never hear any message anywhere from anyone that is more important than what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Nothing, absolutely nothing. I can say that with certainty because the message comes right from the Word of God here in John chapter number 1. I wish I had time to read all of it, but I want to begin in verse number 10 where he says that he, he ought to just stop and preach there you don't have to go on beyond that he well who is he talking about well you go back to the beginning the beginning was the word and the word notice what the word was with god and the word was god it's it's obvious that he's speaking about the lord jesus christ the word the creator of this world he notice he the light and the life he was in the world imagine that and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now our text, verse 12 and 13, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How-to books are really popular. They have been for many years, of course. And I feel certain that if I preached a message to the general public, let's suppose the title was How to Become a Millionaire. That if they had any confidence, you know, in, in, in me and uh, my ability to, to, to make money, it would be a lot of interest to a lot of people. Now, if they know me, they know that I'm not the one you'd want to get your advice from. 
I'll never be a millionaire in that sense of the word, and uh, I've never aspired to be a millionaire, but that's really of interest to a lot of people. How can I be financially successful? Or, or let's suppose I had a message entitled, How to Cure Every Disease. I, well, I'd show up for that. We're all in. How do we get rid of cancer and heart disease and all of these other diseases that torment us so? Or maybe, as some are doing, I could preach a message entitled, How to Live Your Best Life Now. Oh, they'll show up for that. Amen. They'll show up for that, even though the fellow preaching it doesn't have a clue what your best life is really all about. But you see, there would be a lot of interest in those things, but sadly, there's not really that much interest in a plain, simple subject of salvation. Just a message about how to get to heaven from my house. And it's my job to give people what they need instead of what they want. I'm not a singer. I wish I could, but I'm not a singer. Brother Brother Willie and the rest of our folks here, they just bless my heart. But I I don't have that ability. I'm not a stand-up comedian. My memory's not good enough to put together enough jokes to, you know, to, to entertain anyone. I'm not an entertainer. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a life coach. I'm a preacher. And it's my duty and it's my delight to preach Christ. That, that, that's what it's all to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. I want folks to find and to follow Christ. And I've, for over 50 years, I've listened to a lot of preachers. And I've got the impression from a lot of them that they're afraid to make the message too simple. Uh, I disagree. In fact, the more serious the subject is, the more simple the message ought to be. And when we think about the subject of salvation, I mean, that is as serious as it gets. And I want to speak to you for the next few minutes on how to become a Christian. How to become a Christian. There are a lot of ideas about that. I remember years ago there was a survey taken about how to become a Christian. And uh, one fellow said, up the golden stairs. Another one said, I don't know, ask Billy Graham. (laughs) Another one said, you know, uh, keep the Ten Commandments, be a good neighbor. There's all kinds of different ideas on how we become Christians. A Christian, so it's no wonder that so many people are so confused. And if we're going to clear it up and get the right answer, we've got to go to this blessed old book that I hold in my hand, the Bible. Our text gives us both the negative and the positive side of this matter. So notice the negative side. Verse 13, this is what won't work. And he sums it all up under three headings. First of all, he speaks about our descent. That it is not of blood. That's talking about our physical descent. 
In other words, salvation is not hereditary. It's not something that's passed on uh, from our ancestors. Now, keep in mind, this really hit home with the Jews who believed that being a descendant of Abraham was all that really mattered. Jesus cleared that up over in John chapter number 8. You know, he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They said, oh, we've never been in bondage to any man. We're the children of Abraham. We, we've never been in bondage. We, you know, we don't need what you're talking about. We're free. And they depended upon their lineage, their physical lineage, to have a right relationship with God. And although the Lord made it perfectly clear that they were wrong, they refused to listen. We need to understand that we don't become a Christian just because our parents are Christians. As has often been said, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You're either a child of God or you're not. And to be a child of God, you must be born again. If you are depending on your descent, then you are doomed. And, and, and believe it or not, there are a lot of people that way. Well, you know, my family has always been Catholic or they've always been Protestant or they've been this or that. And like one woman said to me, true story, I was knocking on doors and I asked the lady if she was a Christian. She said, of course I am. I was born right here in America. I felt like saying, well, you could be born on a mountain, but it wouldn't make you a billy goat. But I, I didn't say that. I was kinder than that. But but a lot of people have this misconception that I came from a Christian family and that makes me a Christian, and it doesn't. So it's not of our descent, but notice something that's maybe more shocking. It's not even of desire. He says, nor of the will of the flesh. It's talking about our personal desire, that is our volition, as we call it, or our wishful thinking. Now listen carefully. The point is, you aren't saved just because you want to go to heaven. You're not saved just because one day you think to yourself, well, I think I'll become a Christian. And you just, well, you choose Christianity as your preference over all of the other religions. You see, there are a lot of folks, they don't want to take the chance on going to hell. They want to think they're going to heaven, so they get baptized, they bond with the church. They behave as they think that, that Christians should. They do all of those right things, but that's not salvation. Jesus said, you must be born again. And as I've said so many times, an unsaved Baptist is no better off than a Muslim or people of any other religion. Because, look, it's not a matter of how wrong you are. It's a matter of being wrong, period. You can use the word Christian. You can, you know... Uh, Put into your vocabulary all of those words that we associate with Christianity. You can sing the grand old hymns of the faith and all of that. Talk about how you hope that you're going to get to heaven and your choice of religion is, is Christianity or even, even a Baptist. 
But that's not good enough. You don't get to heaven just because you decide one day, well, you know, maybe maybe that, that preacher was right. Maybe there is a heaven and maybe there is a hell. And I don't want to take a chance of going to hell. So I, I, I think I'll, I'll just become a Christian. You don't get there like that. More to it than that. So it's not our descent. It's not our desire. But notice it's not decision. He says, nor of the will of man. In other words, we're not saved by a man-made means or the desire of others for us to be saved. I mean, look, if that was possible, everybody I know would be saved because I don't want to see anyone die and go to hell. The Apostle Paul felt that way about his people there in Romans chapter number 9 where he basically was saying, you know, if I, if I could do something to save my brother and my kinsmen after the flesh, I, I'd be willing to be damned and go to hell and separated from Christ. But, but there wasn't anything he could possibly do by way of his desire. Chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But with all of that desire of that godly man, there was no way that those people would ever be saved. I can't save anyone. Paul couldn't save anyone. Neither can your parents, your priest, or your pope. None of them can save you. Your parents can have you baptized as a, as they call it, as a baby, but they can't make you a child of God. Now, let's just suppose for, for a few minutes here that baptism was essential for salvation. Just, just suppose that's true. If that was true, you would be at the mercy of man. For example, what if you couldn't find anyone that was either able or willing to baptize you, what then? What would you do? So everything is in their hands. Your salvation is dependent upon some, some so-called preacher. Or, or what, what if you had to wait? What if he said, well, why, why, sure, I'll baptize you, but, you know, we don't fill the baptistry until uh, the last Sunday of the month. You've got to wait. Or what if he said, sure, I'll baptize you, but the baptistry is not filled this morning. We have to do it tonight. What if you get killed in a car wreck this afternoon? You, you see, your salvation would be based upon others. And the bottom line here is it's not by the will of man. It's not what man can do or not what man wants to happen it's not a work of man, but of God, because we can't do anything to save ourselves. Salvation, as Paul said, is by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, he says, lest any man should boast. So that's the negative side. But that being said, then, what is the positive side how do we become a Christian? What will save us? Let's go back to verse 12 again. But as many as received him, that is Christ, 
To them gave he the power, the right, the authority, as it were, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but, notice, but of God. It is a birth, notice, it is a birth that is based on our belief in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about that, but but that statement involves all of the crucial elements of salvation. It's speaking about the birth. It's speaking about the blood. It's speaking about the matter of us believing in what Jesus did. By belief, I mean faith, trust, or confidence might be a word that we would use today. Our faith, our trust, our confidence, all the same thing. It is a matter of believing, and that's the only way that salvation can be received. I always think of Paul and Silas in the jail there at Philippi. You know the story. They're singing and praying at midnight and God sent an earthquake and shook the prison to the point that the jailer was fearful of his life and going to take his life. And he said to Paul, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Boy, what a wonderful opportunity this is. And keep in mind, he's speaking to Paul, to a man who is brilliant of mind and deep spiritually and full of compassion. Oh, if anybody on earth has got the answer to this question, it's Paul. Boy, Paul could have waxed eloquent. He could have, I mean, he could have gone into great detail how that, you know, we are justified by what Christ did, his work that is imputed to us and our righteousness, you know. And Paul could have gone on and on, but all he said was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But believe. Wow. Had he said anything different? Or if we believe that there is anything different, that there's something else that needs to be added to that, regardless of what it is, it would be an insult, an insult to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who shed his own blood on the cross. He who is God's own dear son who came to this sin-cursed earth and laid down his life for us, for vile, filthy sinners. And for, for us to say that we must do something would be an insult to him of the highest order. Now, I know there are those that are thinking, well, Just to believe, that sounds too simple. Well, it is simple. It's simple not because I made it simple. God made it simple. Have you ever noticed all of the different figures of speech that are used in the Bible to show us the simplicity of salvation? Over and over. In John chapter number 10, for example, it's like going through a door. Passing through a door. That's about as simple as it gets. John chapter 4. It's like drinking water. 
Pretty simple, right? John chapter number 6, it's like eating bread. Just taking a bite of bread. Over in Romans chapter 6, it's like receiving a gift. Now, there's no effort involved in that. It's just receiving. Someone has offered and you, you say, yes, I, I, I'll, I'll receive the offer. One of the most wonderful pictures, I think, is there in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. And keep in mind, the prodigal son is really the story of all of us. It's the story of sinful man apart from God. And the Bible says when he came to himself, there he is out in the far country. And by the way, you can't measure the far country in terms of miles, you can be in the far country in a church pew. And here he is out there in the far country, starving as it were, and would fain eat what the pigs were eating, and no man cared for his soul. But when he came to himself, finally he realized that it would be better for me to go back home and to be a be a servant to my father than to stay here. And he arose and headed home, and he looked. The father saw him from a long way off. The father didn't wait till he got there and fell on his knees begging, saying the sinner's prayer or anything else. The father went out to meet him. Amen. And it was the Father that initiated the forgiveness. It was the Father that took him in his arms and put a ring on his finger and a robe around his back and said, let's have a party. Salvation's like coming home. It's getting back to where you ought to be, back to God. It's like over in Matthew chapter 11, it's like accepting an invitation to a banquet. And over and over and over again, it's likened unto believing a message. Here's the message. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, amen, it couldn't be more simple than that. Satan wants to muddy the water. Satan wants us to make that uh, make us think that salvation is more difficult than what it really is. He wants us to believe that we've got to play a part in it, that we've got to do something to accomplish it rather than just accept it. But salvation is not a goal to be achieved. It's a gift to be received. Salvation is a gift from God. It's not a, not a reward for our righteousness, but rather it is a gift for those that are guilty. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And folks, that is the truth. And Christ came into this world to save sinners. Now, if Satan can't confuse you, if Satan can't convince you that, that there is another way to heaven, 
then he'll try to get you to procrastinate. You, because you see, he really, he's really not that concerned as to whether you believe the message or not in the sense of acknowledging the facts as long as you don't put your confidence or your trust in what Jesus did. And that delay can be deadly because there are some for years and years and years they have known the facts. They, they know the facts. It might be that even as a child, they attended Sunday school. They, uh, one of their memory verses was John three sixteen. They know all of this, but they've never really put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only because of the mercy of God that you've been given another opportunity here today. Whatever you do, don't waste it. Don't waste it you might not get another opportunity. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't have one promise anywhere that you can be saved tomorrow because you don't have any promise that you're going to be here tomorrow. Many years ago, I I wrote an article some time ago about all of the great preachers that uh, I've had the privilege of meeting and knowing some of them to the extent that I could carry on a conversation with them. I knew who they were. They knew me. And uh, what a wonderful privilege that is of being able to to know these men. But one one of the fellows that I, some of them for different reasons you just can't ever forget, and Lester Roloff was one of those that, well, if you ever met him and talked with him even for a little while, you never really forgot him. And I met him, of course, in Springfield, Missouri. He was holding a meeting there. And uh, so he, uh, he extended an invitation, come down, come down and uh, see the work and, you know, uh, visit sometime. And so Bev and I decided one year that we needed a vacation, so we would, uh, we'd go down to Brother Roloff's. So we went down there and spent a week. We'd never been to Corpus Christi before, and uh, we didn't really know what to expect. We got down there and enjoyed ourselves. But I'll never forget the story, a true story. This woman came to Brother Roloff, and as he was speaking with her about her need of salvation, and she, she said to Brother Roloff, she said, I know, I know what you're telling me is the truth, and I really do want to be saved and in fact, Brother Roloff, she said, next week I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in the Sunday morning service next week and uh, said, I, that, that's when I want to be saved. You give the invitation and I, I'm going to come forward and I'm going to be saved. Brother Roloff urged her, passionately urged her to please don't do that. Please do it right now because you, you don't know what might happen. No, no, no. My mind's made up. I, I just want to wait, you know, and all, all of my friends and people that know me will be there, and that's when I want to get saved. Oh, sure enough, next Sunday morning, she showed up. Wow. I mean, it's because a lot of times people will tell you they'll be there and they, you know, they, they never show up. But she came. She came. The service started. All of the good music, 
Brother Roloff got up to preach, and as soon as he started preaching, that woman fell over dead right there in the service. Delay. You see, doubt is one thing. Delay. Delay is one of the tools of the devil. Just wait till another day. Wait till another time. And probably every Christian here, if you will think back to the time that you trusted the Lord as your Savior, just before you did that, if you'll remember, Satan tried to get you to put it off and to wait till some other time. Man, I, I remember, I was just hoping they'd quit singing that the invitation hymn so I could get out of there. I, that's, that's the way it started. But boy, God wouldn't, wouldn't let go. The Spirit of God kept urging my heart, no, you need to take that step today. And thank God, thank God I did. And, and look, folks, if you're here today and you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't know beyond abs any doubt whatsoever, if you don't know with all assurance and certainty in your heart that you'd go to heaven if you died today, you need to settle that right here this morning. You don't have to, you don't have to, really, you don't even have to walk down the aisle. You don't have to, you don't have to say some worded prayer just precisely so as to impress God in order for God to save you. All you need to do is to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As many as received him, and remember, we receive him by what? By faith, by believing as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And you, look, if you'll do that, you can leave here this morning knowing that regardless of what happens in my life, I am a child of God and I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you do that this morning? And then, and then I want to urge you to come and to tell Brother Kenneth or I that you've received Christ as your Savior. It might be you've got questions. Boy, I'll tell you, nothing make us happier. We'd much, we'd much rather take the time to help you know Christ as your Savior as we would uh, eat lunch. That's, that, that's not even important related to what your need is. A whole lot better than lunch is you coming to the banquet that the grace of God is set for you. And it's all prepared. It's all ready. Just a matter of whether you're willing to receive him or not. Would you come while we stand and as we sing, Father in heaven, how we thank you, Lord, for the work that you did through the gift of your own dear son on the cross. And Lord, I'm so thankful that somebody cared enough about me that they told me about Jesus. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit that urged me, convicted me, would not let me go, but literally tormented me, as it were, about my need to trust Christ. And I'm so very thankful that by your grace, I did just that. And Lord, I, I just pray today for that man, woman, a boy, or girl, whoever it is that that might be a stranger to your saving grace, that today they would settle that matter once for all. There are no doubt people that are wondering whether they're saved or not, and I pray that they'll come to understand that you have given your word, you have written those things that they could know 
that they're a child of God. So may they trust you just now. Tear down every barrier. Remove every hindrance. Help us to not delay any longer, but this morning to submit our life to your will in Jesus' name. While we stand and sing this morning, you come. service started throughout the course of this week and thinking about what I believe in my heart that God wanted me to preach today. You know, I know that for for a, a lot of people, the Sunday morning message like this, just a plain, simple message about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, about salvation. I know when I start that 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 it's not going to be of all that great of interest to a lot of people because I'm telling you, and it's happened. It's happened. I've experienced people. Bev and I experienced whenever our pastor's wife years ago made a snide remark after a guy preached a wonderful salvation message. She said, what does he think he's going to do? Get us saved again? I'll tell you, I've come to believe one of the greatest hindrances to people getting saved is a horrible, terrible attitude that we Christians sometimes have. I have no idea why it is that God lays certain messages on my heart, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm convinced with all of my heart this is a message God would have me to preach. I said something to Brother Kenneth earlier, and I, I said, have you seen... Have you seen someone? I'll leave it at that. Somebody I'm concerned about. No, I didn't see him. I don't ever prepare a message trying to target somebody. I don't do that. But I, every message I prepare sometime before the moment of preaching I, I begin to think in my heart about those that are in need of it, and I've had I've had uh, someone on my heart, someone in need of salvation, and I was so hoping they would be here. And it's so easy for a preacher to get disappointed and say, "Oh, wow! I preached that message, and wasn't even anybody there that needed it." Don't you kid yourself? The Lord taught me a long time ago, there's somebody here that needed this message this morning. And I'll tell you, even though I'm going to heaven, even though I know that I'm saved, I can't think of anything I would rather hear than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, especially knowing that there is somebody here that is one heartbeat, one breath, one step away from a devil's hell People, someone that has never really truly been saved. And if you knew their name, it, it, you might be shocked 
It might be someone that you never suspected, but they know deep down in their heart that I'm the one. I'm the one. This message was for me. And you've got to decide right now if you're going to receive it or reject it. And me and all of these other Christians, we're praying that you'll receive the message, receive Christ this morning. And we're going to sing this next verse and urge you to come and bear testimony of your acceptance of God's gift while we sing. Just Dark blood, that old ugly blood of sin. Wesley, would you word our prayer for us this morning?